In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In the first century Middle East, it was customary for the religious leaders to take a rabbi or teacher who had wandered into town and invite him to dinner so that they could get a sense for what his theology and politics were like. Imagine if the elders and I did this to our poor vicars as they came in. But this is the context of the meal in which we find Jesus, where every word is an invitation to speak to a theological or political topic of the day. Thus, the man who exclaims, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, is not merely ejaculating whatever happened to come to his mind. This is an invitation for Jesus to speak about who this everyone is. Will it in fact be Jew and Gentile? What sorts of people will be gathered there at the great messianic banquet? Now before we hear Jesus' answer, it would be good to know some of the contemporary theology swirling about in Jewish circles there in the first century. The text that all would think of when considering the Messianic banquet is a text from Isaiah 25. There, all peoples, all peoples are invited to the mountain of the Lord to a feast of fattest meats and finest wines, a feast in which death itself is swallowed up and tears are wiped from every eye. Now, fast forward some 700 years later and we come to the time of our Lord. In the time between then and the time of our Lord, there was a translation, a work of pro- in progress, called the Targum, translating the Hebrew scriptures into Aramaic. You can think of this a little like the living Bible of our day. What was the Targum's take on this Isaiah 25 text? Well, everyone will indeed be invited to the mountain, just as Isaiah says, but not for blessing. It's not that death will be swallowed up. Rather, death will swallow up all who are there. Those filthy Gentiles and all the Jews who are willing to welcome them. Talk about a rug pull and a complete reversal of what Isaiah had said. Now, another source, some 200 years before Christ, the book of Enoch has a slightly different take. Again, Jew and Gentile are welcome to the table of the Lord, but as they're gathered there, they all discover that there is another guest present, the angel of death, and he whacks all the Gentiles so the Jews can enjoy the feast in the midst of the death of their enemies. Not looking good, is it? One more source And that would be the Qumran community of the famed Dead Sea Scrolls. Their take is that the Gentiles won't be invited at all. 
In fact, it will just be Jews, but only Jews that meet certain qualifications. For example, any Jews with physical infirmities, any Jew who is paralyzed or lame or blind or deaf or dumb, need not apply. No salvation for you. So this has, needless to say, become a rather heated theological topic. Who in Israel will be welcomed? And will the Gentiles be welcomed? It's into this milieu that our Lord speaks. He says, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Now, one quick logistic detail that might escape us, because life doesn't work this way for us. But when someone wanted to have a great feast, they would first send out invitations. If everyone responded, yes, I will be there, I've put it on my calendar, then they'd know how much food to make, how many animals to slaughter. We're not living in a time where there's refrigerators and freezers, so it would be greatly wasteful if it was simply done without taking a headcount first. So everyone pledges themselves to come. Then, when the day of the feast finally arrives, the animals are slaughtered, everything's prepared, and the messenger goes out and says those words that our Lord repeats, Come, for everything is now ready. In other words the men to whom the messenger goes have already pledged that they will in fact be there. But Jesus says, they all alike, and there's the first sign of trouble, as if conspiring together, they all alike began to make excuses. Now to our ears, these might seem like valid excuses, but not to a first century Jew's ears. The first man says, I've bought a field and I have to go out to see it. Farming is so poor in that area that men would study for years a given plot of land before they bought it. You don't buy it and then go look at it. This is the lamest of all lame excuses. And in fact, it is intentionally so. The next man says, I've bought a yoke of five oxen, and I have to go examine them. Five oxen is a tremendous expense, and just like the fields, you would never buy oxen and then go examine them. You have to examine them very carefully before making such a substantial purpose. This, too, is a lame excuse, and obviously so. The last is not only lame, It's downright insulting, almost to the point of being humorous. The third says, I have married a wife, and I'm sorry even though I said I could come, I'm not going to be able to because my wife and I are going to watch Netflix and chill. (laughs) Okay then. The servant came and reported these things to his master. Needless to say, the master has outlaid all of this expense, and he is angry. But as the psalmist says, be angry and do not sin. 
He takes that anger, instead of using it toward revenge, he uses that to fuel his next move. He tells his servant to go quickly out into the streets and lanes of the city to bring in who else but the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, those whom the Qumran community had exclusively excluded. The servant did exactly as he said, and once they had all assembled in his house, he said, Sir, there's still room. What would you like me to do? And the master says, Go now into the highways and hedges, not just the city, but outside of the city, and compel people to come in. There's no threat of violence or use of force here. It strongly urged them to come in. You could imagine how this would be if, you know, a messenger from Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg came up to you and said, hey, he's throwing a feast and he wants you to come. You'd be like, okay, what's the scam here? And even if I did come, what am I going to be sold? Or what photo op is going to be taken? So, no, compel them to Come, urge them to come. They are wanted, they are desired. This is a genuine feast for their benefit and blessing. Why? Most beautiful line of Jesus' story. So that my house may be full. Jesus ends, though, with these poignant words to those gathered. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. What then is he saying about this messianic feast? The Jews, even the good Jews, are invited. But if they reject him, if they reject the call to come to him, they will be excluded and their place will be given to another. To whom? First and foremost, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel to the poor, crippled, lame, and blind. And then, once his house has been populated with them and still there is room, who else is included but those outside the city, namely the Gentiles? Thus we see in the parable of our Lord a return to the proper vision of Isaiah 25, that on the mount of the Lord all peoples will be gathered for a feast of mercy and forgiveness, for the undoing of death, for the wiping away of every tear. We have a God who wants his house full. Now, in the Jewish way of thinking, it was very often the case that they assumed that physical deformity meant also some sort of spiritual deformity. Unfortunate correlation, to say the least. But I think we could use that, wrong though it is, to make an important theological statement. Jesus doesn't just invite the good, upstanding folks of the world into his messianic banquet. He takes those who are spiritually damaged. He doesn't simply invite the spiritually rich and victorious, but as he says in multiple places, 
the poor in spirit, the destitute in spirit, we who are nothing but beggars at his table. He invites those crippled by their sins, unable to do as they would. He invites those who are blind, blinded by the darkness all around them, not yet seeing right, blind from their own background, blind from their own past, blind from their own present. Even so, sight is not the precondition. Come, he says. And so also to the spiritually lame. Maybe some of you remember it was very popular back in the 80s and 90s. It seemed like every house I went into had one of these. Do you remember the Footprints in the Sand poem? Uh, so to paraphrase, you see, you see two pairs of footprints going down the sand as if two were walking together. And then suddenly the two pairs disappear. There's just one pair. And the person reflecting on this says, Lord, I thought that you said you would be with me always. There, you appear to have left me alone. To which the Lord responds, no, it was there that I carried you. Now, maybe the Lutheran version of that would be there's one footprint in the set of footprints in the sand, and we say, Lord, you were never with me. He says, no, I was carrying you all the time. (laughs) But here we have an image of how our Lord bears up the lame and gives us what we lack and calls us to the feast of healing and the feast of spiritual healing. Not only the forgiveness of our sins, but a medicine that courses through us and makes all things new. Not only the spiritually ill are invited, but then also those who are complete outsiders, those who must be compelled to come in. Why? Maybe they don't trust the church. Maybe they don't trust the invitation. Maybe it, doesn't, it sounds too good to be true. Maybe they've sinned so grievously in their life that they feel like even if they did come over, they'd be forever second-class citizens. Maybe they feel as though they would not truly be made to feel welcome. These are the very ones who must be compelled to come in. And as much as it is wonderful for, all, for us to sit back and marvel at the Lord who has called us all into his feast, There is also this thing that we must consider. Those people that we know, that God has placed into our lives, who have not yet come in, whom we must compel to come in. The case may be that they won't, but don't stop compelling. Why? Because we have a God and Father who wants His house full. Full of nothing but sinners cleansed by the blood of his beloved son. One of the things I most love about our sanctuary, probably one of the reasons why I could never take a call and go anywhere else, you come into the sanctuary and what do you see? You see the crucifix and the altar become a table. What do you see? but the arms of our Lord Jesus stretched out, calling all men, Jew and Gentile, good and evil, healthy and broken, 
calling all people to himself to be cleansed by his blood and to be brought as equal children, as equal heirs to his table of rejoicing, to that messianic banquet of grace and mercy and in finality, the undoing of death. Let us rejoice then, my friends, in what we have here and in what we have yet to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.